Hi everyone, this is ABS Master Smith Michael Venino of Michael Venino Custom Knives and Terrain 365, and you're listening to the Bladeology Podcast. Alright, we're going to jump into it like we do every week. Welcome to another episode of the Bladeology Podcast. We are on this week with episode 44. We are on with our original host lineup, and we're on with a guest. This is the vocal representation of Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives. And Elijah Isham of Isham Blitworks. Awesome. And we are joined tonight by the infamous and the famous Mike Norris. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. How are you guys? We're we're doing we're doing awesome. I I am I'm going to thank you for taking some time to to come on tonight and and talk with us. Glad to do it. Glad to be here. All right. So um let's let's get right into it, man. Let's uh let's jump in. So you you are definitely most famously known for some pretty awesome and amazing pattern Damascus. Um how did you how did you get into this this wild world of of Damascus and knife making? T- tell us about it. Well, I started my knife making career in um, 1982. I made my first knife then. Um, I actually paid a visit to my dad. Uh, I was, what, 28 years old, I guess. Uh, went by to see my dad, who had retired, and I noticed that he was out in his shop making some little um, kitchen knives out of cross-cut saw blades, uh, putting oak handles on them and using nails and washers for rivets. And uh, I was just kind of intrigued by it. And uh, I thought, well, I asked him, I said, would you mind if I make me a hunting knife? And he said, no, go ahead. So I made a hunting knife out of a cross-cut saw blade and, and you know, of course, it was very crude. Had never heard of a custom knife maker in at that time. You know, never knew there was such a thing. So, but I was intrigued by, because I've always liked working with metal, because uh, I, was, I was a welder for many years. <clears throat> always liked working with metal, and I always liked working with wood. So I said, hmm, I think I'll make some more of these. So that's kind of what started, and I started making, I made a few more out of uh, saw blades, and I found some circular saw blades that were from a sawmill that were thicker, um, you know, and of course, of course, I'm using saw blade steel, which is normally L6 at that time, and and uh, that particular steel doesn't hold an edge very well, you know, not real well, So, so I kept experimenting and doing different things and reheat treating myself in an old cold forge that I built and I did that for about three months and I was in a bookstore one day and I happened to see a a book called Gun Digest Book of Knives so I picked the book up and started leaf you know flipping through the pages and I started looking at some really nice knives in there and I started, you know, I was kind of glancing and reading, and I realized that I was looking at handmade knives. And I thought, hmm, 
these knives look a lot different than mine. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I said I gotta I gotta check this out. So I bought the book. I took it home and I read it from cover to cover and looked at every picture in it. And I said, hmm, I can do that. So uh, I started buying some equipment and making knives in my spare time, which was all of my spare time after work. Uh, and that uh, within about, um, I don't know, well, that that actually started. That was 1982. So I, then I started making knives, stock removal, by the stock removal process. Uh, basically, left the forging alone. Uh, started using 154CM and other steels, but mostly mostly 154CM at the time. And uh, from there, I ended up in 1986 joining the Knife Makers Guild and just made knives uh actually part-time went full-time in uh 1993 after i met my wife and we got married and i decided i didn't want to run all over the country doing construction work anymore um so um i went full-time and from 93 to 95 i was full-time as a knife maker and then as uh, in as I would go to shows, uh, I would see, I'd see a lot of Damascus, but I wasn't really, Damascus just didn't impress me for some reason. Um, didn't have any desire to make any knives out of Damascus or to much less forge any Damascus. Um, but during that time, during that couple of years that I was actually full time, a guy, I had a guy commission me to make some knives for him, and he was providing the steel, and they were all Damascus. Well, he was providing, a lot of the steel he was providing was uh, made by Devin Thomas. And uh, that steel really intrigued me because it was stainless. And, uh, you know, you didn't have the rust problems, and and, you know, it was... It was just intriguing to me. So uh, Devin Thomas was my inspiration. He's the one that inspired me to to do, you know, to get started in forging stainless. So in 95, I was at a show in the spring in, I think, Secaucus, New Jersey. And we were talking, I was talking to some other makers. We were talking about stainless Damascus. And, and, and I had been thinking about it and pondering it for quite a while. I turned to my wife and I said, you know what? I'm going to start making stainless Damascus. Bam. She said, okay. <laughs> so so I went home. Let's see, that that show was in the spring by, let's see. So I go home and I start working on a I knew, by the way, I knew nothing about forging. Okay. Um, <laughs> except what little bit I had seen and maybe some uh, a video here and there, but very little. I think I had been to one forging demonstration and went with a friend and wasn't wasn't really interested, you know, just went with a friend. Uh, so I knew very little about forging. So I had to scramble to find some all the information I could. Um, so I built. I opted to go with a hydraulic press because of where my shop was. I didn't. I couldn't put a trip hammer in there. So. Um, 
I, uh, I built a forge and I built a, a hydraulic press. And let's see, the guild show, the guild show was in July, I think. And by the time the guild show came around, I had four knives made out of stainless Damascus and four billets of steel for sale at the show. Um, So so, uh, I ended up winning the uh, Beretta Award for Outstanding Achievement at the guild show that year. Um, And that kind of started it. Whenever... Whenever people would come around to show other knife makers, we we would get together and talk or swing by each other's table and talk. Uh, they would look at my steel and they'd say, you know, they would they would ask, whose steel is that? And I'd say, it's mine. I made it. And they go, is it stainless? And I said, yeah. And they'd say, well, would you make it for somebody else? And I'd say, well, yeah, sure. So that's how it got started. And within two years. I was so busy making stainless Damascus that I basically had to quit making knives. Oh, wow. Okay. So that caught on real quick then. So that's pretty much how it got started. Yeah, it did. And that was just, at that time, there was just me and... Yeah, if Damascus is selling more than knives, might as well. Yeah. Um, at that time, it was just uh, me and Devin were the only one. Yes, I was back, back then, it was... Just the YouTube, because stainless steel is still pretty new. Even now, there's not really... I can still count the guys making stainless Damascus on one hand uh, for mass sale. Yeah. This is way before uh, yeah. stainless steel, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So... Oh, yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah that's way before stainless steel. So it was just you and it was just Devin. There were, there were two guys at that time doing this. Um, yes. So how did yes, you? Yes, actually, for many years, it was just me and him. Right. So, so tell, tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about that. So you're you're saying, back then, give us sort of an idea of what was what was available for for, I mean, stainless Damascus, but most of it was carbon before then, and a lot of it wasn't patterned, like you were saying. You saw Devin's work. Um, a lot of it wasn't patterned like your steel was, right? Uh, correct. Uh, well, uh, actually, my steel wasn't patterned like my steel is now. <laughs> mm. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. Uh, you know, it, it's taken, taken, yeah, it's taken many years to get to this point, you know. Um, I started out making a basic uh, random a ladder and a raindrop. And, you know, the, the, the thing about stainless is it's um, every time you, you know, you can't, you can't draw it out and cut it and fold it and flux it and just keep going you know every step you've got to you've got to cut it into pieces regrind it if you do multiple welds you got to cut it into pieces you've got to grind the pieces you got to restack them you got to recan them or rewrap them um that's another thing i don't i don't use a can but i'll talk about that later um but um you gotta i mean every every time you do a, another weld to you know, to get more complex patterns, you've got to go through that. You've got to anneal it, grind it, and restack it. So it takes so long, and it's uh, uh, so time-consuming for some of the patterns. Um, you know, even the annealing process is not. You know, you got to you got to go through that, and it can be time-consuming. So there's a there's a lot of work in it, and 
when I first started, I thought, you know, I kept thinking of different patterns, and I thought, well, everything I do is going to increase the time so much, nobody's going to be able to afford it, you know. So so I kind of st stuck with uh, those basic patterns for, for several years until I, I, uh, I just got bored with it and said, you know, I've got to try something different. It's, it's no matter how long it takes, you know, I, I got to do it. I, I just got to try some different stuff. So, so I started experimenting on the patterns and ended up uh, creating some, some really nice patterns. Uh, I, I will say this. I made a lot more money when I had three basic patterns <laughs> because things went, things went a lot quicker. Um, now, some of my patterns are complex enough that there's so many steps to it. Uh, it really gets time consuming and I really don't charge um, comparable to the time. You know, uh, uh, some of it is, is kind of expensive, but it's really not as expensive as it should be if I got paid for my time. Yeah, people, people uh, don't realize the sum but, of but I, you make. Uh, it's not like carbon in Damascus. When you're making Samai Damascus and stainless, he has to make a billet, cut it in half, and then re-stack and weld it. And uh, take you have to clean up all three. You have to make a piece of Damascus, cut that in half, clean that up again, and then get a piece of steel, yes. clean that up, and re-weld it. Now, I'm not familiar with your method. When I've made stainless Damascus in the past, I did a can. So I didn't do Samai yes. for that reason. Was I was like, I have to do this again? And then make a can again yes. to reweld this, and like I didn't have time for that. <laughs> but I, that was the plan until I realized, oh, this is like more than double the work at that point just to make it Samai. Oh yes, uh, when I first started making Samai, it was probably probably twenty years ago, uh, and I used some of the uh, powdered steels for like uh, S30B for the core. But um, what basically what I did was stacked, uh, stacked a thick enough piece of of the S30B or whatever I used for the core. I stacked a thick enough piece in the billet so that when I when I drew it down and got ready to pattern, I could pattern it and still keep um, all of the S30B or the core material in the center. Um, now you would have a wavy core. I mean, it would be wavy, but you would. But I, I tried to shoot for having all of that material on the core on, or on cutting edge. Um, did that work out for you? The pro well, it it did, and it um, the but but you're limited to the patterns that you do. Otherwise, your core is going to be all over the place. And one of my <laughs> My thing is, if I'm going to make sand my, I want the core to be in the center. I, you know, when somebody grinds that blade, I want to see core on both sides, and I want it to be in the center. I want it to be as close to, to centered as possible. So by by making sand my in that way, um, you know, you're kind of you're kind of limited at how how good you can get it. Now I've managed to. Uh, uh, managed to do pretty good, but you've got to. The thing about the, the the grinding process is what a lot of people don't take into account. After you forge a billet and get it patterned, and you when you grind it, you know you grind it down to all clean material. 
if that billet is warped any at all, if it's not good and straight when you start grinding, and of course they always are, they're, they're, they're never straight. They're never perfectly straight. So when you start grinding it, I actually have to shim it from time to time to make sure the core stays the same. For instance, if I'm if I'm grinding a billet and it happens to be cleaning up on a say on one end, but it's not cleaning up on the other end, I still got dimples in it from my patterning process. Then I have to shim that that end to get it up to where it's grinding even. If I don't, my core's gonna be off. So I spend so much time in the grinding process that it was. Uh, I, I, that's one, that's one reason why I really got really tired of making Sam Mai because the grinding process was so so uh, meticulous, you know. But but I ended up uh, just a couple of years ago. Um, I always thought about the fact that um, you know I should be able to uh, weld a core. And I, I don't know. This is probably three or four years ago. I always wanted to take two pieces of Damascus and sandwich a core between it, but I was always afraid that, um, you know, you got you got one shot at welding stainless. If it doesn't weld on the first uh, welding heat, then you're done. It's you're not going to salvage it. Um, so I, I I always thought, you know, if I make a billet of Damascus, say say I make an 18 inch billet of a particular pattern, and then I cut it in half. And then I sandwich those two together with a piece of XHP or whatever in the center. You know, if when I go to do the forge well on it, if I lose it, I've just lost a whole billion of Damascus that I've made, you know, because I, I didn't get it well. So eventually I decided that I had to try, you know. So, yeah, I lost a few. Hmm. Uh, you know, and it hurt. Break a couple It hurts when you... Know? Oh yeah, it it hurts when you when you spend all that time in a billet and you got it completely ground ready to go, and then you cut it in half, and and put it together like a sandwich, and then you lose it. You know, I've done that. I did that a few times. I tried different methods. Um, had lots of problems with it. You know, and uh, gave up on it for a little while, and then I thought, you know what, I'm gonna try it again because I've really wanted to be able to produce a Sam Mai that had a straight core, you know, that I wouldn't have to worry about. So when I grind it, when I put it on the blancher and I, I start grinding it, and I can grind the same amount off of both sides and the core is going to be centered. And when it ships out to a maker and the maker starts grinding, he don't have to chase that core. I want, to grind, I want a maker to be able to, to grind that blade and know that that core is going to be in the center. So I've used your material. It's so pretty damn center. So, uh, thank you. So anyway, I started I started making what I call the straight core stuff for, uh, just a couple years ago. Um, I actually found a process that works. It works really well, um, uh, and I do basically make a billet of Damascus and cut it in half and sandwich it between, or sandwich a piece of uh, core material between it. Now I got a formula that I go by to get the right thickness core. And see another, when I first started doing this and I got it to stick successfully and, and turned out some successful billets, my problem was if you think about, think about producing a piece of Damascus with a good pattern. Mm. 
uh, but you've got to you've got to put three pieces together, which is going to make it thicker. You've got to forge weld those together, and then you got to draw them out. You got to draw it out and set it, you know, enough that 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 you're going to be down to the right thickness when you grind it. So you can't start out with very thick material because if you do, if you draw it out, then your pattern is going to be drawn out. And your pattern, it turns out that some of the patterns actually look like crap after they've been, you know, when you put them together and get them, uh, get it forged together. And then you, uh, and, and I try to, I try to make my thickness to where I don't have very much forging left to do uh, after I get, after it's, after they stick, after the well, the layers are welded together, I don't want to have to draw it out very much at all. Uh, so that's the tricky part. So you have to go thinner, and when you go thinner, you, then you're more apt to lose it. So, um, but I have actually, and, and basically what happens when that pattern draws out, it starts stretching out, and it also begins to look grainy. Um, when you etch it, it just don't have crisp lines, and um, uh, and you get just a little bit of that anyway. Mm. Uh, but... Um, you know, as opposed to just a, a regular billet that I would make. Right. But it's, it's it's very little. I can, I've got it to the point now that I get very little of that. And uh, I end up with a with a straight core. And then, you know, now a lot of guys like the wavy core. They still like the wavy core. So, so I'm doing both, but I prefer to do it the second way. Now, when I cut a billet of Damascus in two, and then I have to sandwich it, and and forge well that I end up with less material, so you know I, I have to charge more. Yeah. I mean it's more work, yeah. um, I, obviously, but I also lose some material when I do that. So I usually charge twenty percent more than uh, uh, for for that you know for the straight core sand mine. I also charge twenty percent more for the wavy core sand mine because it takes so long to grind it. <laughs> It's just so sand my in general is is a huge pain, but it oh, can yes. be done and it's expensive. Oh yes, yes, okay. I've done no, a lot of sense. it, a lot of it. I've had, you know, when I uh, it, it since it was pretty new process to me, and um, uh, you know I, you know, my first few pieces were not successful. Um, if everything's not right, I mean, you, you can't get your, your welding heat can't be too hot. If it's too hot, then your, then your pattern steel on the outside clad is going to look terrible. Uh, it's just going, it's going to look grainy and it's going to spread it out too bad. Um, if it's not hot enough, it's not going to weld. So you got a very narrow window to, if you want it to look good and, and for it to weld. Uh, what causes cracking? What causes cracking? Yeah. Uh, you mean between the layers or? Uh, no. So cracking? the first billet I made, I don't know if it was overheated yes. or overworked. Um, I would get cracks at the edges that are all the way through and will go about a half inch in. And those are just sheer cut blanks. The second billet I made was way better. The cracks were only an eighth of an inch and that was about it. But what I did was I, it prepped, took a lot longer to prep. But I put the entire brick into the to the to the mill, and I faced them, so they were exactly to the same size, and there was nothing at all. Yeah. So I, I didn't know if it was yeah. 
because the fit was a lot more perfect or it was the heating that I did or the overworking on the first billet? It was uh, more than likely. Well, let me ask you this. What did your cracks look like? Um, I mean, were they, were they, were they uniform cracks or did it look kind of sugary? Sugary, but it's because it was performance stainless. So I was running two performance knife steels. Uh, it looked, uh -huh. it wasn't like a crack, but it also it's the decarb and the scale that kind of throws it off. That's what you mean by sugary? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. That, that is, uh, too much heat. Okay. Yeah. The second bill came out a lot better. It's, and then my third billet was similar. Yeah. And then the fourth billet came out better. I made, I made four total, like four inch by 20 inch billets and three of them are still yeah. sitting in the shop that need to be ground. <laughs> and I, I finally got a surface grinder this week, so now I can actually grind them. But they've been sitting there for three years. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Usually, if you if you have if it looks like what you're talking about, that's usually excessive heat, and it's beginning to crumble. In other words, the 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 material has has gotten to the point that it's just a little, it's it's almost hot enough to start, you know, to become fluid. And the hammer, when you you know when the hammer contacts it, it starts, uh, you know, causing it to, to just crumble. So less heat, uh, less heat is what you need. What are the, what are the steels that you were welding together? Oh, uh, ABL and 154. Uh, yeah, it's the 154. That's, yeah. Well, you need more uh, synthetic, synthetic and more synthetic. Let's get contrast. Yes. Yes. Uh, if you use the right acid, um, you can get a good contrast. Um, um, lost my train of thought. You were saying it was probably the uh, one fifty four that got. Over. Yes, the one one fifty four is red short. It will crumble a lot quicker than the AEBL. So anytime I anytime I uh, forge one fifty four, I have to drop my my heat considerably. Uh, the, the welding heat and the forging heat. Uh, I've done a lot of CPM 154, and it's basically acts the same as the regular 154. Uh, it will crumble really quick. So now XHP holds the heat a little better. Um, uh, and what are you cladding that with? ABL. Uh, 19C27. So that'd be similar yeah. to like a Nitro V, if you're familiar with that. Uh, well, no, it's quite a bit different. Uh, 19C27 is basically, it's, uh, almost like 440C, but it has less chrome. It's a little tougher than 440C. Um, uh, holds an edge really well. That's been my, uh, when I first started making stainless Damascus, I opted to go with, uh, Udahome's AEBH. Uh, because of the carbon content. See, AEBL only has 65 points carbon. Um, 19C27 has 95 points. Um, the 19C27 also etches blacker. It turns darker. But, uh, so, uh, but I used uh, Udahome's AEBH for a long time until they quit making it. And then I switched over to Sandvix 19C27. I've been, I've been using Sandvix steel for um, almost 20 years now. Yeah, about 20 years probably.
So you were you mentioned um, the darkness in in the patterns, and that that reminded me of something because the first time that I really was like entranced by a Damascus pattern was uh, I think it was Fire Clone, and it was on a Protech Godfather. It was one of their yeah. their shop customs, and I have to say that it was circa two thousand. 12 2011 and it really yes. it was the first damascus i'd seen that really just just i just got lost in the pattern it was really oh, yeah. it was just it was an amazing pattern and the way it was etched it was so exactly like you're saying it was it was so high contrast so dark that the yes. the fire clone pattern was just like it's amazing so i want i want to get into a little bit of this this pattern making and and sort of how how you do that and and the popularity of the patterns because that really for me that was it like i saw that and i was just like that's the coolest pattern i have ever seen till this day <laughs> hornet's nest hornet's nest is a is a close second but fire clone is really like that's what i look to when i think of damascus yeah. i was just thinking well that's like a great name fire clone yeah it's it's yeah oh, the pattern is I, awesome yeah yeah, I came up that, with that name um, when I when I etched the first piece of it. I I thought of uh, Cyclone of Fire. Mm. That's where Fire Clone came from. Okay, all right. So, but anyway, um, almost anybody has tell you that when you're when you're making stainless Damascus, it, well, anybody that makes it, uh, if you'll notice, most people don't twist it. Mm. Uh, there's a reason for that. It's uh, it's it's a pain in the butt. <laughs> I mean, it is a pain. Uh, you got to do everything right, or you lose it when you start flattening it. Um, so, and fire clone, of course, is a twisted pattern. The uh, when I first uh, when I first um, came up with the idea for that pattern and <laughs> twisted it, and uh, you know, etched the first piece of it. Of course, I lost part of it, but but. It, I was so intrigued by the pattern. I said, "Man, this is this is really nice. I gotta I gotta make this work." So, um, took a lot of trial and error to figure out exactly. I mean, your temperature is critical when you're twisting it. Everything is so critical. Um, and you know, if 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 you don't get it right when you start forging it flat, it will just split open on the edges. So, so anyway, I. Uh, um, I, I really liked the pattern, and I said, you know what, i got to make some more of this, but I said, nobody's going to buy it because <laughs> it's going to be too expensive because I've got, if I'm going to make it, I've got to charge for it. This, this stuff right here is crazy. It was a pain. So anyway, um, I, I offered it. I put it out there and offered it for sale, you know, and I said, nobody's going to buy this stuff. It's too expensive. Well, next thing I know, it's one of my top sellers, you know. Oh, wow. uh, everybody seems to really love it, and I've I've come up with some numerous variations of it. Um, every now and then, I'll I'll just decide to do a little variation of it, and I'll send it to someone. And the next thing I know, I'll see a picture of a knife made out of it, and people are asking about that one, you know. So um, I've got one now that's uh, Fire Clone Two. I call it. It's uh, it's got XH. It's mostly XHP. But it's got some of the other stuff going on, you know. Also, but when when you look at it, it's it looks like, well, it's it's quite a bit different. But but 
I, I enjoy trying different things. I, I there, there's a there's a lot of things that I would like to do that I just don't because it's really going to increase my time, you know. And I and I think well, nobody's going to be able to afford it. So, uh, for instance, one of those things, if you'll notice, nobody out there makes uh, um, Turkish twist in stainless. Right. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I've done that too. Oh, man. Um, Alan Eleshwitz, uh asked me numerous times to make him to make him some, and I said no. There's no way. I said you. I said I just no. I can't do it. I ain't gonna do it. I said you don't. Uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that the amount of you you need a lot of reduction before stainless actually wells good enough that you can start, you know, really working it. So. Uh, to to make Turkish twist, you can't on your last well when you've got those when you've got those twisted pieces stacked, you can't do a lot of reduction. Um, you, you know, to because you got to your patterns on the side, you got to slab your pattern off the side. So uh, I kept telling him, and I said, "No, nah, no, I just ain't gonna do it." I said, "There's no way. I'm not. I'm not gonna attempt it." Well, I said that for years, and uh, was talking to him one day about I don't know four years ago maybe, and he said, "Man, you've got to do the Turkish twist." And I said, "Well, all right, I'll try." It. <laughs> well, there we go. All so right. I did, and I've made some some uh, Turkish twist for him and several other people since then. Don't make it very often, and don't want to make it very often. But um, but yeah, I have I have done the first. I lost the first piece, but uh, after that, uh, been able to make it uh, make it work out successfully. My first successful piece. The second piece I did, I said, well, I, after I slabbed the piece off the side uh, and got you know I looked at it and I said, pattern looks nice. So here's the test. I took that piece and laid it on my anvil and laid a block under one end of it and smacked it with my hammer. I said, if those welds are solid, <laughs> it'll stay together. If they're not, it's gonna come apart now. And uh, so I smacked it and bent it and uh, then bent it some more. And I said, well, stay together. So that's what I wanted to so. There we go. But I would not like to take a, an order for a lot of it. I can tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, I was Man. Say, it's it's one of those uh, like mythological Damascus patterns that yes, that yes. nobody wants to do. It's impossible to get people to do it, and it just seems yeah. like technically just a huge amount of process involved to get to get everything to to be right. Yes. So my following question is, how do I purchase some? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I would take an order, but uh, just don't rush me. <laughs> there you go. See, okay. Uh, you it know, took me it took me a week to make that uh, that first successful bit. Well, both of the, oh, the one that I lost and the first one it took me a week to make it. Now okay. I was doing other stuff, hmm. but the process actually carried on for a week because I've had to make the pieces and grind them, and you know they had to be annealed and then grind them and restack them and all that. Um, you know, I, I it was a uh, you know it was about a week's process. Like I said, I was making other billets of steel during that time, you know. So, so it weren't it weren't wasn't that I devoted a whole week to it. But. Right. 
No, the, the process is it's it's long. It's grueling. <laughs> yes, it is. So you you brought up a, a couple things um, in that story, which I wanted to touch on. One of which was, so you make steel for other people to make knives with and you must so you must have obviously pretty pretty good uh working relationships with a lot of these knife makers um is your exposure to some of your finished steel mostly in in magazines i mean do you own any pieces of your steel that are made by other knife makers you know like how does that it's just such an interesting, you know, like you make something for someone else to make something out of. Right. So uh, so the question is, do I own knives made by other makers with my steel? Yeah. Like, is that is that a thing? Do people send you the knives? Do you do you purchase your own steel back? Like, is that how does that work? Uh, I have a I have several knives that are made out of my steel that uh, were given to me by people who by other makers who i've just just became real good friends and and decided they were just gonna send me a knife one day you know uh i have a few i don't have many like that but i have uh probably three or four. Oh, okay wow um uh, but uh, uh and i have a few of my own that i made out of my steel nice. um but not very many of them either. It's is it hard to keep something like that uh, for either financial reasons or just it, you just rather just move on with it? Uh, you mean as far as the knife that I make? Yeah. Uh, no, it's not really hard to part with it because bear in mind that I was a knife maker for a lot of years, you know and was not making Damascus, so it was, so I enjoyed making knives to sell, you know. Mm. Um, so it, when I make one now, it's not really hard to sell. I, um, I don't advertise that I have some for sale sometimes because, uh, I mean, I may sit on one for six months or so before I let anybody know I have it, uh, just because I don't have to. I don't have to, it's not, um, that's not the way I make my living now. Uh, although, just a few years ago, I was actually um, in the process of trying to transition back to making knives. Um, and, and the reason for that is I wanted to expand and do some different things in Stainless Damascus that, that I knew nobody would be able to afford. But, you know, I, I could make my own knives out of it and and uh and plus i miss making knives i mean i used to make uh i made straight knives for years and i made folders for years uh you know and i really miss making folders but um um you know i was gonna and one of the reasons i was going to transition back to making knives was the fact that i was having so much joint pain um this was about three or four years ago um my the joint pain was getting extreme i mean to the point that it was uh you know during the night i would wake up with my joints throbbing and and i was thinking you know what this is you know you're not you're not supposed to get like that when you get older it's just not supposed to be that bad and you say so, you don't have this for making damascus uh no no, uh, wow. uh, after after doing some research, uh, doing a lot of research and listening to people, listen, listening to people who are, um, 
you know, they, their approach to problems with your body is uh, natural. You know, and they say if you're if you've got if you've got problems, there's there's an underlying. Um, well, in other words, if you got, you know, basically what you need to do is work on solving the problem instead of masking the symptoms or or treating symptoms. You know, you you got to figure out what the problem is, and you won't have to have won't have to worry about treating the symptoms. So anyway. Um, basically what I did was just kept doing research and this is the way I always do. I research everything uh, until I find out what the cause is. Well, I was reading some stuff about gluten and it turns out that gluten causes severe joint pain. Um, so I said, hmm, well, I'm going to try it. But it takes a, it takes a while before it completely clear it up. It takes a long time for it to get it out of your system. So I cut out all gluten. Uh, matter of fact, I cut out all grain for, to start with. And after about three months, most of the joint pain was gone. And by the end of a year, I had no more, I had no more throbbing joint pain. All of it was gone except maybe some pain from previous injuries or something in my wrist or in my shoulder. But I was back, I was in the shop, you know, doing what I normally did without all that pain. And uh, so... I said, well, if I can keep doing this without hurting, you know, I don't need to go back to making knives. Although I still try to make two or three knives a year and would like to make more, but but uh, just don't have the time. Everybody keeps me too busy. Yeah, I mean, that, wow. I mean, that a that's great that you that you solve the problem in in a natural way, so you don't have to you don't have to you know. I, I'd like to make it a yeah. point though. I think Mike is just built different because. I could make knives day in and day out and forging for two days straight. I hurt from head to toe. Uh, oh, really? He, he, he says it's not, it's a natural, it's not natural to stand in front of a 2300 degree furnace all day. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I it's hurt, not. I end up hurting and severely dehydrated after like, I did a week straight of forging when I was learning. And uh, yeah, I ended up just aching and severely dehydrated. Yeah. You're doing it well, all you right. know. Every year when summer rolls around, I I always say, man, I hate summertime. Uh, oh, I did one it thing, in South Texas heat in the in the oh, middle of like July. It was not. Oh, oh yeah, it wasn't good. Bad. Yeah, I did it, you yeah, from uh, you, Robert Carter? Yes. Yeah, so I did it with Rob, and yeah. uh, I came from New York, went out there in July or August heat in South Southeast Texas. Who? Yeah, I, I, we we, I, uh, we were doing it outside, and there was points where. Some the, we're doing like 105 degree weather outside some of the days, Ugh. and we're I'm doing a build, he's doing a build, so we're alternating heats in the forge slash press, and I'll I'll do my heat, I'll press it out, throw it back in the in the oven on the forge, go do a lap in the pool, fully clothed, except my <laughs> shoes, in socks, pants, everything, while I'm, while it's getting back to temp, he's forging out, and we alternate. He jumps in the pool, I start pressing it, and then by the time you're done with your press, you're dry. And you go do it. You do the lap again. Like it, it was bad. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it it gets in the nineties here, and I forge. I'll be forging every day. You know, of course now. Now I don't forge every day now because I, I I'm working. I work alone now. For the last couple of years, I've worked by myself. Um, I've always had help up until the last couple of years. But um, you know, when I had a helper, I was forging every day, and he was doing the grinding, keeping keeping metal sheared for me and 
stuff like that, you know. So, so but when, I, so I don't forge every day now. It, do you mean like an apprentice, or you just mean like a helper? Well, yeah, just a helper. I've had for about twenty years. I had somebody, uh, not the same guy, but uh, for a twenty-year span, or maybe a little longer, twenty. Well, I've been making steel twenty-six years. Probably twenty-five of those years, I had a. Uh, tw- I'm not sorry. Probably twenty-three of those years, I had a full-time helper. Uh, the last two years, I've been by myself, um, and I found that uh, I'm more focused and uh, don't make as many mistakes. Um, and I've been my brain seems to work better when I'm by myself. I've actually come up with some new ideas, new patterns, and you know, uh, uh, I, I don't know exactly why that is, but, uh, I, by the way, I have to work harder and I have to work longer hours, but, but I I love it. I really do. I love what I do. Hmm. So, I mean, all, all these years forging and you're still, you're just raring to go. You're, you're looking to get out in the shop and just keep forging. Oh yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's very, that's very commendable because, uh, from what I understand of forging is it's, it's, it's hard and it's not easy on the body. Uh, but yeah. it, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like you're trucking right along. So I can't, you know, yeah. I won't, uh, I won't second guess it. Um, you know, I've always been small, but, uh, when I quit eating gluten, I lost 20 pounds in about two months and that's 20 pounds I didn't need to lose. So I'm literally dried up to nothing now, uh-oh. but, but, right. but I feel better, Same. you know, but, uh, I always tell people, uh, now you know why I'm so small. I'm forging in the summertime in 95 degree <laughs> heat every day. You know, it'll fire burns yeah. then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, as now you're saying, okay, you you were saying that you're you're busy and you and you have been busy. So, you know, just to be just to be clear. So, I mean, you're still all of the patterns that you've that you've done over the years or that you offer now, um, those are still available and you just, you, you take orders for those or you you list them yes. on your website or you just, no, it's... I, I, I do everything by order. Okay. Wow. All I've right. had people, I've had people, you know, every occasionally somebody will ask me if I've got a particular size or, or pattern in inventory. And cause I do have a little inventory, you know, here and there, but I usually don't have what people need. Um, sometimes I do, but anyway, they I'll have people call me up and order order a billet, and they'll say, um, you know, can you ship it out tomorrow? And I'll say, no, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I can. I don't have it. <laughs> you know, I have to make it, and delivery times usually run sixty days to sometimes ninety days. You mm. know. Um, um, and they'll say, oh, I thought you would have had it in stock. And I'll say, do you realize how many billets of steel I would have to have in stock if I had every size and every pattern that everybody wanted? Right. Hundreds Sounds and hundreds. Awesome. Because some, we, some want one-eighth by inch and a quarter. Some want one-eighth one by inch and a half. One-eighth by two. Three-sixteenths by inch and a half or inch and a quarter or by two or inch and three quarter i mean you, you know it, there's no way that i could keep a, an inventory of every size and every pattern 
Mm. Yeah, it's just right. Too too many, too yeah. much. Uh, yeah, especially being just one man. Right. Exactly. <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, that's I mean, that's kind of the it's it's a material that is made by a man in a shop. It's not some synthetic that's poured, pressed and cut. I mean, it's that's part of the I mean, I think that's certainly part of the charm of of the material itself, which is, you know, somebody had to stand there and make this it didn't just make itself like you know that's that's true i mean i love my card up but it's just you know (laughs) yeah yeah i have uh as i said before i don't use i I don't use a can uh i don't can my damascus when i stack a billet uh i wrap it i wrap it in stainless foil and that's how I start. I mean, I you know I do the forge well with it wrapped in stainless foil. Now there is a uh, I can tell you this: canning it by building a can and encasing it in a can, you have a lot more forgiveness. But I don't want to have to cut that. Do you have to run air with? Because all I did it is I did it in a can and I ran gas. No. Which so you you don't actually you, need gas. No. Huh. You really don't. What do you use? Argon? Yeah. Argon argon in the can? Yep. Yep. Uh no, you don't need it. As long I mean if there's no airspace in there, you don't need it. And even if there is a little bit of airspace, it, it's not gonna be enough to to um uh, okay, you know, so I'm interested you... about the foil method 'cause I so locally my buddy just got a fifty ton press uh, uh-huh. one of those McN- McNab presses. Yes. And he got a rolling mill, and I just wanted to go make some five-layer Sanmai. And I was just uh-huh. going to weld up the entire perimeter, because it's going to be yeah. pretty thin, using like 60,000 stock. Yeah. Uh, but I want to try the, the packet, I mean, the, the foil method. I, I, I don't think that it, you could do that. Well, now, if you're, if you're using, um, if you're going to stack a, th- you know, a thin bill, like you're talking about, and they're, what, five layers at 60,000s? Um, you'll be fine with just fusing the edges like you're talking about. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was I thinking about just making something thin and then uh, pretty much running it through the rolling mill to get an ounce of thickness and then uh, yeah, and just call it a day because I'm just trying to make, I want straight lines. I just want five different colors for contrast. Yeah, four, yeah. And it's, it's a knife that has, it's compound ground with three bevels, so it should look pretty good for that material. Yes, even though it's yes, just you, you would... You would be better off. Uh, I mean, if it's not going to be any thicker than that, you'd be better off to to do it like you were talking about doing. Uh, my billets are two inches high at least. Um, well, they range anywhere from three quarter to two and a quarter high. So I've that size billet. You know, I'll wrap it. I wrap it in foil. Now, the critical part about using foil is you have to have everything right with your forge. You've got to have really, really even heat. If uh, you, you know, you wouldn't think when you look into a forge and you see it looks all one color, you wouldn't think that that there can be cold spots in that forge. But if that forge has got, if if the heat's not really, really even, uh, the full method, you'll lose it. You'll lose part of it. You may get half a good billet, but you're gonna lose part of it if it. If it's not, if everything's not just right, so you got to really constantly keep an eye on your forward and 
make sure you're, you, you know, the lining in a Ford getting a little bit out of, out of whack from deterioration, you know, can cause your, um, it can mess up your vortex in there and can cause cold spots and there's so many things that can do it. Um, as a matter of fact, I struggled with that as far as forges. I tried many forges for years, built most of them, tried a several that I bought, never liked any of them. Uh, until I, just a few years ago, three or four years ago, I came up with uh, an idea for a forge and I tried it and man, that, that, that forge has been mostly maintenance free and has made my life a lot easier. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Until you made that forge, I was always wondering why don't guys modernize the forge and not just yeah. instead of using KO wool and ceramic, why don't they just yeah. go heat treat oven build and just use full brick? Yeah, exactly. And it seemed easier to build too. Uh, instead of I hate dealing with KO wool, man. And that oh, itchy, too. and then run, say tonight, and then all the ceramic. I was like, why don't people just make one out of brick? Yeah. Yeah. Plus, you, you're you breathing. It. Yeah. Plus, you're breathing that stuff constantly. You know, it's breaking down, just blowing out into the air, and you're breathing it, and uh, it can't be good for you. Yeah, that doesn't sound healthy. No, it, it's it's essentially glass. It's glass cotton, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, ceramics, ceramic cotton. That's probably even that worse. That stuff gets in your lungs. If it gets in your lungs, it's not going anywhere. It's going to stay there. At, at one point after uh, messing around with it two, three years ago, Robert, because I, I have a lot of free space in my shop, and yeah. I was considering getting a press and doing it myself here and there. And then once I saw your forge, that was on the list. If I went that route, instead I decided to buy more CNC machines. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll revisit doing it in-house again at some point but now that a local friend had it has the equipment i'm gonna just or like ask him if i could pay him like a day rate to rent out the machines yeah so maybe i'll talk him into getting one of your forges because i saw oh, it at the late yeah. show or after you made it it was nice yeah that thing was made like even when you made it for sale it was done professionally the steel housing to, to encase everything it was made to, to sell and not oh, just for yeah. your home use yeah, I, I, I've got it. I put a lot of time in one of those forges. I can tell you, they're not cheap, but I've got a lot of time in them, and it's built entirely by me. You know, I don't. I build it each piece, every piece of it. I don't it's think built it's that me. expensive because, like, the forges that are out there, I think, are pretty cheap compared to heat treat oven. Like, you look at the high end Paragons, oh, and yeah. yours are still cheaper than the high end Paragon. Those newer oh, black yeah. units would. So, I don't think it's that expensive considering. Yeah. Well, see, that's good. That's 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 value. That's 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 what we're looking for. That's a good sell. Buy buy, yeah, when, buy when one of these was, forges. When he first made them, he's like, they're going to be expensive, and there was no price for like a month or two. And I'm like thinking, like, what's it? And he came out, and I'm like, no, it's pretty reasonable. It looks really nice. The burners, you don't have like the ribbon burners, or were yeah. most efficient before he came out with his system. Yeah. What I understood, and they were pretty pricey too. And then he oh, has yeah. a whole different system, and yeah. it's already included. You don't have to deal with building a ribbon system. Yeah, the one thing I, uh, I've always been a stickler about a forge is I want even heat. Um, that's why I came up with the idea of using the smaller smaller burners and using a lot of them. Um, you know, you're going to get more even heat. And when I, when I built that first forge, my gas bill dropped $150 a month. Okay, so, um, yeah. so the, the patterning. Uh, so we were, we, were, we were talking about that for a little bit. And then uh, the forging... Um, 
Is there a particular, and I mean, I, I know you must, you must probably get this all the time, but is there, do you have a favorite pattern aesthetically or do you have a favorite pattern that you like to make? My favorite patterns aesthetically are not my favorite patterns to make because they're so time consuming and you got is. Yeah, of course. Uh, my favorite pattern to make would be random. <laughs> okay, okay. Because it's easy, you know. Right, right. But, but, but there again, I don't, you know, I've never, I've never liked doing easy stuff over and over. So, um, I can't really say that random would be my favorite to make. But uh, I like trying new stuff. I mean, I, I, I um, uh, heck, I don't know if I have a favorite pattern to make. Some of them. Are, some of them are really a pain to get, to get, you know, to the final process. Uh, so they're, they're they're not really that that uh, fun to make. Right, right. Um, it's all it's but, all an arduous process. Yes. Okay. But I gotta all say, right. my I think my favorite pattern is aesthetically is the fire clone, or some of the variations of it. You know, and I've done. Uh, quite a few variations of it that are, that are you know they all turn out nice so so now i have that i have made some ugly damascus before hmm. oh i don't I, believe I, it what are you talking about <laughs> I, I made a piece one time that was i had this idea and uh so i said let me try this so i ended up making this piece of steel and i after i got it etched i said man that is ugly <laughs> i mean that is really ugly so i just I just threw it in the scrap pile. That's the only the only time I really made a what I thought was an ugly piece of steel. Uh, aside from back, you know, years ago, I would uh, when I when I first got started, I didn't and you know actually wasn't controlling my heat quite good enough, and occasionally would get a piece too hot, and it would be really really grainy looking. Uh, I would scrap them too. <clears throat> All right. So I like. Pattern patterns are tricky, and and choosing choosing one child is always always the hardest thing to do. Um, that's that's yes. that could well, be said. Uh, yes, I, I'd also like I'd also say that aesthetically, my uh, uh, the Turkish twist also I really like it. Okay, all right. Is it now? Okay, that's what about what about uh, requests from makers? Uh, it sounds like sounds like Alan was was twisting your ear for a few years for that turkish twist is there a is there another story that involves another maker just pestering you for for something specific that you ended up ended up doing yeah occasionally i, I can't think of any right off hand but occasionally somebody asked me to do something a little different um i mean i just had a guy today ask me to do my fire clone 2 in a semi so now I have done semi twist. So basically, what I do is uh, I do a right hand twist billet and a left hand twist billet, and then I sandwich a piece of XHP between those two after they're cleaned up, and um, uh, that makes a, a unique pattern. But he's wanting me to do my fire clone that way. Uh, well, the fire the fire clone too. He's wanting me to do <clears throat> to do it that way as a semi you know, with an XHP course. So I told him I would do it, so that'll be the first one. Wow. That's uh okay, that's that's a pretty intense piece of steel. Um Yeah. 
that's no that's no joke uh what's what's the largest piece of steel you've ever drawn out for for damascus mm. like sword length wakasashi oh, length? yeah i've done some oh 30 32 34 inches maybe okay that's oh uh, that's yeah that's about right that's okay that's that's big that's yeah okay someone someone was into it they were they were gonna make a full full, full damascus sword that's the way to do it yeah yeah now i used to um i actually i i can't remember who i did that piece for but it's been a while but i couldn't surface grind it i didn't have anything to surface grind anything that big um for a long time 18 inches was as big as i could grind uh but i've recently well uh, let's see about a year and a half ago i added up no actually it was heck it was last year last year i actually added a uh, 36 inch blanchard um started having problems with my 20 inch and been wanting to go to a bigger blanchard anyway so um i ended up buying a i found a real good deal on a blanchard that was had been kind of tucked away for a pretty good while came out of a gm plant and i got it at a good price of course i had to do a lot of work to get it cleaned up uh somebody had never washed the base of it out it's like they i think they decided to decommission it and they used it for another year without ever cleaning the base of it out so i spent 12 hours with an air hammer in the base of that thing hammering all that um um solidified uh, metal and um, dust off of the grinding stones mm-hmm. it had become like a brick and i had to chisel all that stuff out of there man i thought i'd never get done now mm-hmm. that day at the end of that day i was hurting all over <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I, I just but, used one of those recently for the first time too on a piece of machinery i bought i rented it it's pretty I, I, it's pretty neat i didn't know those were a thing until i googled it but yeah. I, yeah, the whole body vibrates. It's like a mini yeah. jackhammer. Yeah. But, that and uh, a, a needle scaler will also. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I've, hey, I used to, I used to use a needle gun on uh, every billet to oh, really? um, to get the scale off. Oh, okay, that makes before, sense. Before before I would start grinding it on the Blanchard, um, <clears throat> but I've got stones or segments for my Blanchard now that. Uh, I don't have to do, I don't have to remove any scale. These things are cut right through the scale, won't load the wheel up. I mean, these, these, they are, they are nice. Yeah, I was watching your process on restoring that, the, you were having some issues with the, with the Blanchard at one point when you first got it. Yeah. And then you built that beast of a 50 horsepower face converter. Yes. Yeah, I just built a five horsepower one this week for a surface grinder. The first time I had to do that. It's pretty neat. Man, I learned, uh, I learned a lot about electricity. I knew nothing about a uh, phase converter. I mean, I had used them. I had several in my shop, but I'd never built one. Um, so I had to do a lot of research. And, man, I spent more time researching than I actually did working on the thing. But uh, but I ended up getting it after blowing the uh, transformer on the pole outside my shop four times. Oh, boy. When I went to Tatsuya, I didn't know how to deal with that. I wired my entire my shop when I got it. There was not a single outlet. There was just one light bulb in the entire 2,000 square foot. 
So I wired the entire shop, 220, everything from the panel out. So I learned a lot because I had to do it for a New York City code because I had to get inspected. So that, oh, that taught yeah. me a lot, which is very helpful. So anytime I, I don't have to call an electrician, every time I buy something or I need an outlet, yeah, like my old yeah. shop, uh, an electrician. <laughs> it, it helps a lot, man. Calling an electrician to put in just one outlet is 100 bucks or 120 oh, bucks. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have tons of outlets. Every other machine's 220. Anytime I buy a new machine, I don't have to hesitate. I'll get that thing running the same day. Electrical supplies down the block. Uh, but it was my first time uh, figuring out how to convert into three phase with a, yeah. using a motor as a generator and calculating what you need. Yeah. Uh, when the first time I hooked it up, I kept blowing my breaker because I was <laughs> looking at the ratings of the motor. And it's like, oh, it's 15 amps. So I put a 30 amp breaker in there and I'm like blowing it. And I realized, oh, well, it's 15 amps at three phase and this is not true three phase. So yeah. I had to upgrade to yeah. a 40 amp and then it worked. But I was like, what the hell's happening? Yeah, yeah. My problem was I was trying to build this thing with a with capacitor start. I wanted I wanted to just just hit the button and the thing start up. I didn't want to use a pony motor, and I actually had it successfully. I actually used it for like two weeks uh, with a capacitor start. Um, <clears throat> and I had, I mean, I had 13, 13 capacitors on the thing, thirteen start capacitors. But the problem was, every occasionally when I'd go to start it, um, it would there would be such a power surge, it would actually blow a capacitor, and it would um, uh, it would the the power would bypass. It, there would be so much surge of power, it would bypass my. Uh, I had a 125 amp breaker, but it was a time delay breaker. It was oh, bypassing. So it was pulling more than it was being fed. Yeah, it was bypassing the breaker and going straight to the pole, and the the uh, the uh, the fuse or the breaker—they call it the fuse—the fuse on the transformer was more sensitive and quicker acting than the 125 amp breaker that I had it hooked to. So it would blow that fuse, and I'd have to call the power company, and they have to come out and work on it. And, and after about four times, the guy said. He said, okay, you're going to have to do something a little different. I said, yeah, I know. I got the solution. In New York so, City, they, they wouldn't let me do that. If I, if I did yeah. that once, I'm like, if you don't call a licensed person, we're going to find you. Oh, yeah. So everything yeah. I do, I have to do by the book and then call my electrician. It's like, hey, does this make sense? Yeah. He's like, yeah, it seems safe. You could do it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it was pretty wild. They, they um, I mean, here you can do your own electrical work. Um you don't have to have an electrician now. If you're in a commercial setting where you, you know, uh, you would. But anyway, um, they uh, when, when he told me that, I said, "Look, I've already, I've already got it figured out. I know what I'm going to have to do." So I went to a pony motor. So I, I actually started with a pony motor now, and I've had no more issues. Just completely eliminated the start capacitors. But I had all three legs of that phase converter converter balanced to within seven amps. I mean, uh, wow. seven volts. Within seven volts. On the money. That's the trick. Yeah? No, that that's... ain't bad. That ain't bad. Yeah, I still have to test mine because I'm curious to see how much it's pulling. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, the next C, my, both my mill, my CNCs run off single phase. So it's pretty much the Haas Mini Mill is the biggest one I could get. Yeah. But the next one is going to be uh three phase because it's going to have a 20 horsepower motor 
Yeah. And I'll have to either buy or build a 40 horsepower unit. Um, I'll probably just buy the panel uh, and then just get a motor separately. Yeah. Uh, that's the that's the easiest thing to do. Yeah, for that, because I, I need a CNC balanced, so I don't really want to build one. The 5 horsepower one, it's for a surface grinder, so it wasn't as finicky to, to build it. So I'll have to mess around with that, but I'll have to call the power company because apparently not every electrical line is set up to be converted for such, like for the five horsepower, it's fine. But when my buddy got a CNC, not about, he's just someone I talked to, he got a CNC and he was planning to put on a phase converter and the electrical company is like, no, you can't do that because the line that comes to your house won't have enough power to convert it. So he's, he was running his CNC off a generator for like two months from what I understand. Until they actually huh. brought him a lot, a peg of three phases just inside his whole building. Huh. Wow. Yeah, you, you can't just convert it if the if the line won't let you convert it, which I didn't know yeah. about. So it's, it's something I'll yeah. have to look into before buying a CNC. Well, hmm. it's just part well, of the fun of doing everything yourself, man. Yeah, it is. Uh, see, I'm where I'm at. I'm out in the country. I live uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, so. I I couldn't even get an electrician to 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 work on the thing for me to try to put. I mean, I bought the parts and the components and couldn't even get an electrician to hook it up. That's why I decided to do it myself. I finally got one that said he would do it. He that he would help me build or or basically uh, build the thing for me. And he said, "Now when you need it." And I said, "Now." He said, um, "No, it's going to be a month before I can get to it." And I said, "That's all right. I'll do it myself." So. That's when I started researching and ended up building it myself. Sometimes that's the best way yeah. to do it, you know? Yes, it is. When when time is of the essence, you know, you just got to jump into it. And I mean, you know, a lot of people in that position, you've already taught yourself to do so many things. So, I mean, being an electrician is, yeah, whatever. Just teach yourself. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. And that's one thing I never wanted to be was an electrician. <laughs> never wanted anything to do with it. Well... But, it, it ended know, up coming around. Yeah, things change. <laughs> so all these years forging Damascus, uh, and you're you're still you're still enjoying it just as much as you ever have. But you are trying to make um, you're trying to get back into regular knife making. Um, but you're saying that you don't always have these knives available, right? It's kind of something that you'll you'll hold on to for for a little bit there. Uh, yes, usually, um, yeah, yeah, I really don't try to, uh, really don't try to sell them, I don't advertise them, I will put one on my Instagram page occasionally, you know, but, um, uh, I just don't advertise them for sale, but somebody always comes up and when they find out I got it, they'll, they always buy it, you know, so, um, and I really, I really like making integrals out of stainless Damascus. Um, that's, you know, when I quit making knives, um, I was making a lot of folders, and I really enjoyed the folders. But I really in, <clears throat> really enjoy making the integrals out of stainless Damascus. Covers. I mean, I, it's, there's not very many of them out there. You don't see that many of them. And it's a lot of work. I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of work, uh, but it's rewarding when you get one done. So, 
And for listeners, really like he's talking about folders, but when he's talking about integrals, he's talking about a one-piece fixed blade where the bolsters and yes. if there's a rear bolster or whatever, however he does it, it's all one piece and he's not yes. putting those on after. That's correct. Which are pain. I've always wanted to do one. Uh, I would have probably mach- approached them more like in machining fa- fashion where I start with a thick one and machine out all the guts. Mm-hmm. Or maybe yes. forge it, but I would have wanted to start. I've I wanted to always just machine it all away. And then right. do it that way. Yeah. The only thing that the the problem with um, making integrals out of Damascus is you need a thick enough billet. Um, if you got a thick enough billet, you got to make sure that your pattern. You know, you. I mean, you need to start out with at least what uh, half inch thick. Well, so you got to pattern a piece that's an inch thick to to get a, a half inch piece that's cleaned up you know so so that's usually not very easy to do especially in stainless um now if you do it out of a, a twist billet that's not that much of a problem um you know because you can you can twist it and forge it and leave it the thickness that you need to to make the whole thing out of but 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 there again if it's a half inch thick and you've got to leave material for your bolsters, then once you get the blade ground down, the thickness it needs to be, then you've lost a lot of your pattern. So that's the that's the hard the hardest part about making integrals is getting the you know, the pattern that's good to look good. Now you can do some you can do an ingrain forging, uh like you would do a feather pattern. Uh that's basically an ingrain forging. Uh now you could do that and draw it out and the pattern's going to be the same all the way through or uh, another example would be a turkish twist uh when you slab a piece of uh after you get the the final pieces welded together on a turkish twist when you could slab them off um you know you could have a piece thick enough to do uh, you know an integral and no matter how much you grind off the blade it's going to look the same so a huge, so, huge amount of material, and you're trying to make yes. a hard-to-make folder in integral, and then you're trying to make a hard-to-make folder out of impossible-to-make Damascus. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you just <laughs> you're choosing the uh, you're choosing the easy route there, obviously, guy, huh? You're, you're yeah. just trying to just trying to get out of it without any work. I see. Yeah. That's uh okay. All right. So so once in a while, you know, when you get uh, when you when you get a hair or something, you're you're your, your time to make some some folding integrals out of, out of stainless Damascus. Wow, that's a that's a lot of work, man. That's uh, yeah. So we're talking about like once or twice a year. So what what is your what does your show circuit look like? I mean, you must you must go to Blade Show, right? Uh, that is the only show I do. So, okay, that that makes it that makes it easy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, you know. I, I was well, I used to do a lot of shows when I was making knives. Um, but after I got, after I started making Damascus and when, you know, by 97, when I was so swamped with orders, you know, I really didn't see the need to do all those shows. Uh, so I just kind of stuck to the blade show every year. The blade show, by the way, for, for Damascus maker, the blade show is going to be the best show out there anyway, because there's more makers there than any other show. So you know you're gonna you're gonna be in contact with more makers 
uh, there than, than you would at a hunter table show, you know. Now, would you bring billets with you to Blade Show to, for sale oh, yeah. or for show? Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Yes. I usually have a table full. Okay. That works. And I usually, I usually um, make a... See, see, a lot of times over the years, throughout the year, people order a piece of steel, and then I'll take what I've cut off of that billet and stick it back in my inventory pile. So okay. when I go to Blade, then I'll have a lot of that inventory. And then I'll also make some 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 big whole special billets for the blade show. Hmm. So I usually I usually have a lot of steel on the table. Okay. So you travel light. I like that. Okay. That's that's good. Um how do you how do you get all that steel from from Kentucky to Atlanta? Uh <laughs> that's okay. Bad question. Well, it's just it's <laughs> actually it's not I don't have that much. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've just put it all in one box and of course of course it's not a cardboard box. Right, 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 right. Um I can put it all I've got a uh, a, a gun case that I can usually fit. Well, actually I've, I got a two gun cases. Okay, um two gun cases. one that's not 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 the rifle type cases, but the you know, the shorter one, one's about eighteen inches long. Mm. I got one about that long, and then a shorter one that's about fourteen inches. And I usually have both of those about, you know, about four. Okay. They're super heavy though. Yeah, I would I imagine. Oh man. You take Especially that to the UPS really store, guy. and they're just like, yeah, what you the can't hell? you can't carry it around. You have to. I have to use a uh, a little hand truck to to uh, get it in and out. Okay. All right. Wait, yeah, weight weighs a lot. But on the other hand, you know, it's inventory that you can't break. So it's not like it's going to show yeah. up broken. You know, it's totally That's fine. Right. It's uh, relatively right. indestructible, in fact. Yep. Um, so, okay, so that you do great. you do Blade Show. And because uh, if you don't go to Blade Show, pe- people basically think that you might have passed on. So you have to, everybody's yeah. got to go to Blade Show. <laughs> That's yeah, it. everybody always looks for me at Blade Show. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, but you're, but you're staying up to date, uh, with the kids. So you've, you've got an Instagram, um, that you post on. Yes. And, um, and a fully functioning website. Um, yeah, the website needs some work. I've, I've had it for a long time and I've, I just need to work on it, but I mean, I've got new patterns and, you know, but mm. it seems like everybody knows what I got because they see it on Instagram every time somebody makes a knife out of a new piece of steel that I've made to post it. So then I start getting calls, you know? I mean, that's, that's the best advertising. That's oh, it. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. So, somebody else yeah. makes something and then they're like, Oh man, that's, I got to have some of that steel. And they come to you. Yeah. Yep. That's, I mean that, that works. So, I mean, what's, uh, well, I guess there was no blade show this year, but there's gonna be a blade show next year. Fingers crossed. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah, the 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 most epic of all of all the blade shows. Most likely. Yeah. Um. So I mean, uh, Mike, what's your what's your orders look like now? Are you are you are you a few months out? Can pe- people can still still place orders all the time anyway, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm probably t- at least uh, right now, maybe two and a half months out. Um, I've got some big orders. Usually when somebody wants uh, one or two bars, I'll uh, try to work it in when I'm doing some of the bigger orders. You know, I make steel for William Henry, um, make steel for, I've got a customer in China that usually orders 20 to 25 bars at a time. Um, 
I've got, um, um, let's see, several other people. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Um, um, got a company I make some really thin material for, for cigar cutters. Um, yeah, it's 60 thousandths thick. Man, it is a pain to grind. I mean a pain, because they don't, when, the thinner it is, you know, you, when you get thin like that, it doesn't want to stick to the chuck as good, so you got to block it. So you got to block it with thin stuff also to keep it from slinging it off the chuck when you're grinding it, so it can be a pain. Plus, when you're forging thin stuff, you know, the thinner you get, the, the more of a pain it is to forge because the heat dissipates quick. So, you know, patterning this stuff, drawing it out and stuff into something that thin and patterning it and then grinding it, yeah, it can be a pain. But anyway, I do, uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff for them. Um, that's neat. I'll definitely, that's, I did not know you did that for the cigar cutters. It'd be cool as heck with some, oh, with yeah. some Damascus on it. Yeah. It used to be, the company used to be called Zycar. Oh, okay. Uh, right. They sold out. And are they're actually? I think they still use that name, but the company that sold them, that bought them out, is Quality Importers. Hmm. Okay. Uh, and they've moved their office to Florida. It's not in Kansas City anymore. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm familiar with Zycar. Okay, I'll have to I'll have to look into that because that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm looking at a Zycar lighter and cutter as we speak. That's pretty dope. Uh, that's 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 a that, okay. That's just a. As as a as a as a close to the end wrap up question, that's that's a good one. What what are some? I mean, that's that's sort of that's a cigar cutter, so it's in the it's in the knife realm. Um, are there are there other orders or items that you get requests for that are outside of the knife realm entirely? Just cosmetic pieces? Uh, yes, I have um, I have people I make ring stock for occasionally. They they make. Um, you know, wedding bands and stuff like that. I them, um, and I've got some other people that use them for different types of jewelry. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, most of anything outside the the knife realm is usually for ring stock. And I've made made several rings myself. It's kind of kind of intriguing. Uh, huh. But because uh, that would make sense, yeah. Like like round stock. Yeah. Well. You're kind of limited. If you do round stock, you're kind of limited in your patterns. Um, so what I do is make a flat billet wide enough to so they can cut the ring out of it. And when you look at the edge, you'll see, you know, you. I try to pattern it so there'll be a unique pattern on the edge. So once you make the ring out of it, you're seeing the edge pattern um, instead of, instead of like the face pattern on the face of a billet. Uh, you can get some really unique patterns that way. A lot more uh, a lot more interesting than you can get in a round stock, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that makes sense, right? Round stocks, you're meant to see the face of it, not the not the edge. Okay. That's that's pretty cool. All right. Um very cool. You know, uh is there is there anything that we haven't gone over that you wanted to go over? I don't know. I guess that pretty much does it. The one thing that I would like to say is uh, my inspiration these days comes from 
all of you guys out there making knives because every time I see a, a, a new piece of my steel or a different piece of my steel on a uh, on some of these phenomenal knives that these guys are making uh, it just gives me that much more incentive because I know that that's a part of me that is gonna it's gonna be here when I'm long gone it's something for it's a part of me that people can enjoy for many, many years, you know, and that's what inspires me and that's what makes me what I am. The knives that people make in, in this industry or, or anybody that, right, the the item will outlast all of us. It will oh, be absolutely. generations and generations gone and someone will be holding one of these custom knives in their hands you know, and they'll be they'll be inspired or in awe at the at the artistry and craftsmanship that goes into, you know, everything that they're holding in front of them. You know, the the steel, yeah, the whole the whole yeah. the whole package. So that's yeah. that's excellent inspiration. Uh, you know, that's uh tugging at the heart spring strings of uh, makers out there, guys. Uh, keep keep making awesome stuff with this with this Damascus. You know, that's yeah, that's good. Okay, all right. Well, uh, I think that that's a that's a great point to wrap on, Mike. I, I wanna I wanna thank you so much for taking taking time tonight and um and sitting down and, and talking with us about about making steel and 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 hammering and techniques. Um, I think this I think this is informative for someone you know looking towards forging and and somebody interested in the forging arts as well as to get a to get a background on 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 what you do and 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 who you are so i I really i want to i want to thank you for for taking time oh glad to do it man glad to do it thanks michael it was a good episode very cool very really enjoyed it really enjoyed it um yeah i definitely learned a lot yeah on on that note i'm gonna I'm going to sign off. I'm going to say thanks everybody for, for listening. Um, this has been another, another episode of the Bladeology podcast. This is Jeremiah Burbank from PVK Vegas. And I'm, I'm signing off. It's Nick Chuprin of NCC Knives and I'm signing off. Oh, I should, 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 I